We are cultivating a community of acceptance and change. As these students grow, they will become agents of change and will pass these values on to their own children one day. Welcome to Love as a Classroom Stories About Inclusion, a podcast that aims to serve as a bridge for a more inclusive world. I'm your host, Andrew Goff. Joining me are teachers, parents, and advocates who dedicate their lives to breaking down barriers and fostering a more inclusive world for children with disabilities. We'll hear their stories, learn from their experiences, and discover practical ways we can all contribute to building a society where everyone belongs. Today, I'm here with Rochelle Bunniger. I work in District 51 in Grand Junction, Colorado for the Early Education Program. I started out as an additional support person to support a child's um, special needs, and then I ended up becoming an assistant, and now I am a lead teacher. She'll share her story about Archer and his family. We will talk along the way about her preparation, her use of home visits to support inclusion, and the priorities she places on relationships. She will also share recommendations for teachers in inclusive classrooms or considering teaching in inclusive classrooms. During the beginning of my teaching career, we found out that we were receiving a child with cerebral palsy. He had limited mobility and required a wheelchair. In order to serve him, we had to make some changes and additions to our room so that he could be successful in our program. When I first met, my interaction with him and his family was nothing short of a train wreck. We had heard he was coming to our classroom after the summer break and the family was visiting on an open house night. When you first found out that Archer was going to be in your class, what were your initial impressions? So I had never personally worked with a child with cerebral palsy. I have a close friend whose son has cerebral palsy. And so I've been exposed to it that way, seeing her care for him and seeing what she has to do to keep him safe and what it looked like for her as a parent. So I had seen that end of it, but I hadn't really seen or experienced the part of taking care of a child with CP. When they came inside, I noticed that he had been squinting, so I just assumed that he'd woken up from a nap. So I asked him if he had. The family members all just stared at me in silence, and finally the dad said, he doesn't nap, he just looks like this. I was so surprised at the dad's answer, probably as surprised as the dad was of my statement. So I went along and explained various parts of the classroom and excused myself as they looked around. Later on, I noticed that they were in the Lego area, so I joined them, and I was asking, his mom, how she was feeling about having him come to preschool. Her answers were short, and the one that struck me was, I'm concerned he will be hurt. I told her, unfortunately, we sometimes get hurt at preschool, so I can't guarantee that he won't ever be hurt, but I promise we will do our best to keep him safe. I saw her check out after I finished the, I can't guarantee that he won't be hurt part. So after what I perceived to be a terrible first impression, we went for a home visit Was there any information that you received in preparation for Archer coming? Had you received any college work, any work at a university, any technical assistance? So at the time that I had met Archer, I had gone to school. I've kind of done everything backward. 
I worked in the, in the early childhood education and then I took classes later on to become a lead teacher. So I'm kind of doing everything backwards. I'm learning as I'm going and then applying that information later. Because of his disability and that the fact that we would have to prepare our room and make some changes that way to make it more friendly for a wheelchair stroller situation, they let us know ahead of time. So we knew probably about six months before he started that he was coming down the road so that we could kind of get the information we need and prepare on our end for him as well. When you went into that home visit, what were your intentions? So in our program, we visit every student um, with or without a disability before the school year starts. We have like five days set aside for that. But going into this particular home visit was a little different because first of all, we had a full team. So we had the physical therapist, we had an occupational therapist, a speech therapist, the lead teacher, myself and the ECSE. Um, we went into their home to introduce ourselves and to have him meet us on in his own area. We spent probably two hours there that day, just throwing ideas back and forth, looking at equipment that they had, asking questions, and really trying to get a better understanding of what it is they do for him so that we could care for him in a way that was appropriate and that supported his need. We really wanna make sure that we're spending time with these families and just starting to build, first of all, that relationship. And second of all, they're the expert on their child. So we use their information and their experiences to help form what we're gonna do in the classroom. Our home visit's something that your district that District 51 where you work, is that something that they encourage? Is it something that your school encourages? What is the role of home visits in the, you know, how how's that influenced for so you? So when, before UPK or Universal Preschool came about, our funding was through the Colorado Preschool Program and they actually required a home visit once a year. And early in the program, they would do them more than once a year, once or twice. Um, unfortunately, they just had the funding to do once a year for a long time. And so that was a requirement of getting the funding. And even though CPP has gone away and we're, we're working under universal preschool, our district decided that it was important that we carry on this tradition. It's just a really great way to help preschoolers with disabilities or without disabilities to meet their teachers and become comfortable with them. We learn a little bit about them. We do activities with them and take their pictures that they find in the classroom later. So it's really more about building a relationship and having the family be more comfortable with us before they come into the classroom for like an open house or even the first day of school. When you get to go into a home, a child is more comfortable so you can see what they're really like in their own environment. And a couple of times we've been surprised with what we've seen, like, oh, we didn't realize that maybe a child was more hyperactive than we thought, or maybe we didn't realize that this child in a shelter, these kinds of things that you just don't always know just by meeting a person. It's really valuable to have that information and then you can go back into the classroom and use that to your advantage. After that home visit, did you think about how you were going to do things in a way that maybe perhaps had been different from before? Yeah, um, a lot of times, on an IEP, there'll be accommodations, like for any child with a developmental delay, like a, a child benefits from a picture schedule. It benefits from extra time processing a request. And they can follow directions better when there's a verbal, a visual, and even sign language accompanying a request or a statement. 
And so these are things that we put in place for all children. So they really do help our friends who have special needs. They really are effective with all children typically develop or not typically developing. I noticed at the home visit, the parents were much more comfortable with me in particular, and they were excited that so many members of our team had come to learn more about him and his family. This is when we were really able to establish a collaborative relationship. The mom was super creative, and she could modify wheelchairs and seating to support his specific needs. We used what she had learned as a starting point at preschool. We worked as a team as we explored what worked best for him and his body. One of the first challenges we faced was how we could make the environment serve him as well as the other children. He had a few mobility options from a larger stroller to a modified wheelchair. We noticed right away that the stroller was so high that he couldn't roll up to the table and be seated on the same level as his peers, but it was the best equipment they had to support his body, which was also very important. He also couldn't reach the sinks properly with the stroller. This meant to wash his hands, he'd have to be removed from the stroller and then placed back in when he was finished. We spread our centers out so there was enough room to move for him to move around the room. For snack, we found a wooden adaptive chair that supported his whole body and put him at the same level of his peers. We spoke to his parents about the possibility of using an umbrella stroller during the day so that he could be at the same level of his peers. They thought this was a good idea and allowed us to try using one. However, the physical therapist noticed that the umbrella chair was not supporting him the way it should, and although it was more convenient to move around, it wasn't what was best for him. She was able to find a chair that was lower to the ground, like the umbrella stroller, but offered the support and ability to adjust it to his individual need. This chair was called a tomato chair. What we didn't anticipate was that this chair was easy for the other kids to move. They started helping him by pushing him to the next center, pushing him close to the table, and even pushed him through the routine of the day. It became a way for him to have more peer interactions, more independence, and we all knew it was best for supporting his body. The other challenge we faced was toileting. He wasn't fully potty trained, but our program does not require learners to be potty trained. We had to problem solve and find a solution that worked best for everyone. We finally settled on an adaptive chair that rolled over the commode. This was a little trickier problem to solve and it took longer to figure out. We tried several different types of inserts and chairs before we found one that worked best for him. We noticed that some of the kids were also scared of the adaptive equipment. We allowed the children to explore them and encouraged them to ask questions about what they saw. One peer was terrified of his wheelchair, so one day we put the wheelchair out for the kids to look at and touch. What role do teaching assistants have in your classroom? So in my classroom personally, and I've been lucky when I've worked with other lead teachers, it's been more of a co-teaching experience for me, which has been very nice. Um, we've had some amazing special education teams too that I've been able to work with and continue to work with. And so having that support with a, of the team is very nice too, especially when I was unsure of something more technical or something that I wasn't familiar with, I could go to any member of my team and we could get the answer that I needed. It was really amazing how the kids just accepted him for who he was. When we were able to offer additional ways for them to help him by pushing him in the tomato chair or something like that, after a while, his disability seemingly faded away. 
He didn't receive additional lessons or play opportunities. We just figured out how to make them work for him. By the time he was ready to graduate from preschool and move to kindergarten in his newly acquired power chair, I had officially become part of their family. I was invited to the birthday party. And when his family moved away, I've always kept in contact. My kids have become friends with his siblings and we've been kept in touch too. One night last week, my daughter said that she had talked to him through his sister and that he really wanted to FaceTime with me. Though at the appointed time, we FaceTimed for almost an hour. I was able to share a conversation with the 10-year-old version of him. He made me smile, laugh, and tear up. He told me I was his favorite and he missed me. The family moved to a different state, but he still invited me to his birthday party in June. It was one of the best conversations I've ever had with anyone. You mentioned that with time, the disability faded away. What do you mean by the disability fading away? Well, I think in his peers' eyes, what made him different was his wheelchair or his adaptive equipment. And so when we found this tomato chair, which was like life-changing for us and for him, they were able to help maneuver the chair. They were able to push him to circle. They were able to push him closer to the table and of just working with the equipment, they were working with him. And so that was pretty amazing. And then also when he was in the circle time, he is at, was at the same level of his peers. So they could tap him and tell him, and then we could assist him in tapping and telling a friend or tapping and asking a question. And so for him, the real challenge was the wheelchair and the tomato chair that was just not even, they just didn't even think about it anymore. It wasn't even an issue. Uh, even when we went outside and he had to go back into his chair. And then later when he got a power chair, they were excited about it, but it wasn't like when they first came in and they were unsure of what it did or why he was using it. What recommendations do you have for teachers? I think the most important thing right off the bat is to form a good relationship. If you do not have an open relationship, it's impossible to make um such big gains as like we did with Archer. And then you have to ask a lot of questions and be prepared to be very humbled. I thought in my brain, oh, we went to the home visit. I have a plan of X, Y, and Z. Well, X, Y, and Z didn't always work. And so I had to lean on my team or my team had to lean on me to figure out how can we solve this in real time in a preschool classroom with other children so that everyone's needs are being met appropriately. Some days are harder than others, but <laughs> At the end of the day, what we wanted for him was a successful school day with his peers. Not all the teachers out there have the privilege that you have to have a great team. Do you have any recommendations you can offer those teachers who may be looking for resources? Specific resources that you've turned to perhaps when you've been trying to find answers to your own questions? In our community, we have Head Start, so we can always speak to a Head Start. They typically have children with special needs, maybe not as many as we have, but they do have experience with it. And inclusive schooling, they have awesome printouts you can print out. They have, their advice is amazing. We've sat through several of their um, trainings for the district, and I really, really like what they do for inclusive classrooms. Inclusive schooling is great, I agree. I'll share some links for Head Start resources, District 51 in Grand Junction, and inclusive schooling in the show notes. Thank you for mentioning them. What could colleges and universities and technical assistance center, what could they possibly do to offer resources to support teachers with inclusion of children like Archer or any other child who enters your classroom? I think just encourage people to go out of their comfort zone. 
by giving them some general information like this is what you might see in a classroom or even be able to visit a classroom. I would do observations and those are really telling. You can just get the whole feel of a room and see what people are doing to help all children in various ways. I think that is really important to do like on-site observations. We've been lucky in our community too that even if people leave our department, they're going to other places in the county that are working with like the colleges and the technical schools. Like for example, we've had several um, of our past employees go to the Mesa County Partnership for Children and Family. And so they're advocating for us too, like what they saw in our classrooms. It's not what you might see in a private situation or it's like a daycare setting. And so I feel like that, that the people in our area have really like heard what it is that we are actually doing instead of thinking that we're just doing crafts and we hang out for three hours and that's it. Um, we're really offering quality programs that are based on curriculums and um, data that shows that we're serving children at a, at a higher level. Do you have any recommendations or words of wisdom to offer teachers in inclusive preschool or K-12 classrooms? When you see inclusion working and you see children growing and learning from each other and um, interacting with each other and meeting goals, it's just life-changing. I can't explain it any other way. And it makes the tough days, the hard meetings, maybe like a meeting with a parent didn't go well, those kinds of things. It makes it feel like nothing because in the grand scheme of things, you are helping a child learn and progress and be a better version of themselves. And so it outweighs all of the disadvantages. I want to thank you so much for joining us on Love as a Classroom Stories Inclusion, sharing your stories, your experiences, what you learned along the way. No problem. Rochelle's words highlight the importance of building relationships with families. Her message shows that relationships take time. Inclusion isn't always easy, but there are a lot of resources. And at the end of the day, as Rochelle said, it's what's best and the values outweigh the disadvantages. Thank you for listening to Love as a Classroom, stories about inclusion. Please subscribe on your preferred podcast platform, post a review, and share our episodes. You can follow us on any social media platform under the name Love is a Classroom. If you're a teacher, parent, or advocate who would like to share your story, please go to loveisaclassroom.com, click on contact, and share a brief summary of your experiences. Until next time, choose love, choose inclusion.